hang in there. You know, what you're doing professionally and frankly, what you're doing in your personal life is, is a marathon, not a sprint. You know, the people who show up day after day after day and keep chiseling away at the, the issues that they face and, and keep their eye on the horizon where they're trying to go, that's how you get there. The oil and gas industry, the driving engine of the world economy, delivering prosperity, innovation and abundance across the globe. Here are the stories of its key players, directly from the leaders themselves. This is Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, where real experiences are passed on from the leaders of today to the leaders of tomorrow. Here is your host, Paige Wilson. Welcome back to another episode of the Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, sponsored by AWS Energy. Before I introduce this week's guest, I wanted to ask everyone to support the show by taking a few moments and leaving a review on iTunes. It's greatly appreciated. So I'm sitting here this afternoon with my guest, Krista Castaneda, principal and founder of the Castaneda Firm, as well as candidate for Railroad Commission in the general election this November. How are you doing today, Krista? I'm great. Thank you. Well, congratulations on your win in the Democratic primary runoff. Looks like you'll be running against Republican James Wright, which beat incumbent Commissioner Ryan Sitton in the Republican primary. Yes, um, we have very interesting contests coming up, and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, anybody running as an independent? No. Okay. Well, that's good. Just just one candidate to beat. That's right. One more <laughs> between making change at the Railroad Commission. Right on. Awesome. All right, Crystal, let's discuss how you began in the oil and gas industry and became interested in energy litigation. Sure. Okay. So I graduated from engineering school in 1985. And after working internships in the midstream industry, I had offers to join what then was called Conoco and decided that the outlook for up in midstream didn't look that great at that point in time. It was a historic downturn. So I went into software design and I actually designed production accounting systems and royalty accounting systems for a company that has long since merged uh, called Meridian Oil in Texas. Excellent. So, and then after that, I did that for three years, decided I loved the consulting business and hated writing lines of code, (laughs) decided I would go back to law school. So I went to law school, not really knowing that, you know, I I had, look, I'm, I'm, I could give the Marissa Tomei speech from my cousin Vinny about (laughs) my family's connection to engineering and it would be spot on. So I had no idea I was going to become a lawyer but decided, heck, I'll give it a try. And I got into SMU Law School and have worked on oil and gas related issues really from the first time I picked up my law license to uh, the present time. I mostly work in the upstream on commercial disputes, but I have worked all sides of the industry. I've represented operators. I have represented investors. I have represented landowners. I've represented royalty owners. So I've got really a very, very broad perspective on a lot that goes on in the oil and gas industry and what an industry it is. Indeed it is. So now that we've established your start, let's kind of go through the challenges. Obviously, you got tired of code. You got the bust in 1985. 
What what are some of the real challenges and issues you had to face, especially as a woman entering the industry during that time? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, so there were very few women in engineering school in the 1980s, and there are still very few women in engineering school. And I actually work on behalf of my university to try to get more women involved. But it's always been a challenge, and it remains a challenge. I'm really encouraged by the fact that there are networks such as the Women's Energy Network, which seems to have a whole bunch of young, bright, talented female engineers and other professionals. And I really think that women bring such a unique perspective to what has historically been such a male-dominated industry. I mean, it hasn't changed once I got into the legal side of things. I am frequently the only woman in the courtroom and the only woman around the conference room table with executives. But I love it. I love I love delving into the nuts and bolts of what goes on in the industry and how we can do it better. That's great. That's great. And we need more of that, so much more of that, especially right now. How is everything going with the whole pandemic right now for you? Oh, gosh, that's so interesting. Well, let me talk about it from the oil and gas perspective. You know, as you mentioned, I'm running for Railroad Commission on the Democratic ticket in November. And I see the huge challenges that the industry is facing. And frankly, I see that the Railroad Commission has really let the industry down in terms of fulfilling its mission to, you know, keep the industry on on the right track. We're talking virtually. I'm on campaign calls and work calls all day virtually. Everything happens over Zoom. I, I fill up my car you know, once every three weeks when I right. fill it up once every six days, right? So we all know the industry is terribly oversupplied with oil and gas, and there's nowhere to put it. And instead of doing something about that, helping to look around the corners and and, and help plan for what is going to be an epic downturn, the Railroad Commission just did nothing. They had the ability to run proration exercises and plan for, do we need to, you know, stem some of the worst of this downturn? And they just refused to do it. As as one commissioner commented, we don't even know how to do that anymore. Well, I just don't think there's any excuse for something that has been done for a hundred years that is there to protect us from the worst of these swings and then say you didn't even bother to try. That doesn't make any sense to me. I know exactly who said that. So I'm, I'm, I'm giggling under my breath. But yeah, no, I, I completely understand. I definitely see where you're coming from. And, 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 I'm, and I'm so excited that you're running. I'd, well, I'd like you. to see a little bit of a change. I mean, there there needs to, to be a, a little bit of reform there, but we'll. Well, and, you know, let me let me say this too. You know, I speak to people in the industry a lot about these issues because I really want. Look, this is this is not one of those positions where, you know simply saying slogans is going to solve our problems. It's not going to be that way. This is a complicated industry. The answers vary by operator. They vary by location. They vary by formation. They vary by, you know, egress and and midstream supply. I mean, a thousand things that everybody who listens to this knows about. And we need people who are willing to balance the needs of everybody in this system. It is a fundamental underpinning of the Texas economy, yet we're going to lose hundreds of thousands of jobs because of this downturn, and it didn't need to be this way. I've got operators who were telling me that they're very concerned about this flaring issue. They know it's a black eye on the industry, and yet until I started talking about it, 
the Railroad Commission wouldn't do anything about it. And so, and even still, it's all in the committee and nothing's actually getting done. So I, I really think there's huge opportunities here to do better for all Texans at the Texas Railroad Commission. Agreeable. So let's talk about your current role now as uh, the, the founder. And ha- why did you start your own firm? Well, this is this is an interesting story, too. And in fact, I actually wrote a book that covers it. It's called The Last Trial of T. Boone Pickens. And yes, I was T. Boone Pickens' lead trial lawyer. Um, awesome. I won him a $146 million verdict right there in Reeves County relating to his investment in an oil dispute. But I had been a partner in very large law firms for a very long time. I mean, you know, the top law firms in the world. And I've always loved my job. I've always loved the fact that the law allows me to both try to figure things out, but also use, you know, my engineering degree on on some technical subjects like the oil and gas disputes I handled. But I was really kind of tired of big firm politics. And so I got recruited by the Brunswick Group, which is a PR firm, to Hmm. help with the Macondo issues that their clients were facing. And I did that for a a couple of years and decided, you know what, I actually do miss the practice of law, but I didn't miss doing it at a big law firm. So I hang out my own shingle and formed the Castaneda firm and said, hey, to my my clients, I'm open for business again, and I'd love to have your cases. And I had kept in touch with T. Boone Pickens General Counsel because I'd handled stuff for him before. And he said, well, we may have this small contract matter you could take a look at. So I get the file. And after about a few weeks of you know, digging in, I realized that this is a, a, an investment in the sweet spot of the sweet spot in the Delaware Basin. And at one point, we were claiming that his, his part was worth over a billion dollars. Wow. Yeah. That'll catch, catch you off guard. <laughs> Well, you know, it was, it was, he invested in just the right time in an undeveloped, you know, set of acreage and that ended up being hundreds of square miles of area of mutual interest. And then his 15% got dropped. And so that was what the dispute was about. Gotcha. Gotcha. What a brilliant man. Rest in peace. Yes. I miss miss him. I, as I say in the book, you know, he and I had our, our, our differences in, in our, uh, particularly politically. Um, I put him on the stand, by the way, the day Hillary lost her election <laughs> in 2016. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was a bit of dramatic tension as well. But, you know, we had lots of differences, but we were good friends and I miss him. Oh, I'm sorry. That was actually one of my dream interviews. So, but anyhow. So if you had a piece of advice to give our audience, what would it be? Hang in there. You know, what you're doing professionally and frankly, what you're doing in your personal life is is a marathon, not a sprint. You know, the people who show up day after day after day and keep chiseling away at the, the issues that they face and, and keep their eye on the horizon where they're trying to go, that's how you get there. And really anything's possible if you just keep that in mind. 95% of what we accomplish in life, what I accomplish in life is simply just showing up every day and trying to, you know, take care of the things that are in front of me. Yeah. Yeah. I totally understand that. Any advice for anybody that has been furloughed or laid off from the industry? Oh man, I feel for you. I know. I, I, I think it's a real challenge. And, and again, you know, my heart's in this, this race for railroad commission because of the people who have been furloughed as somebody who, 
you know, experience that when really that was what I wanted to do coming out of, of engineering school. It's really tough. There aren't a lot of people in my age because of that downturn. And, you know, people are going to have to transition from where they are. But the good news is, and and I want to offer this, you know, I had to transition to something else and, and, and I found my way. You'll find your way. It's maybe something better and you're going to be better for having had the experience that you did and it'll travel with you to the next opportunity. Great advice. So what book influenced you the most and why? I've been thinking about that a lot. You know, I keep coming back to this, the Foundation series by Isaac Asimov, which I read when I was like in, in junior high. <laughs> but it, 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 so there's just some really interesting things in that. And I guess as an engineer, I appreciate science fiction. But Asimov was a math, mathematics professor, I believe, or a physics professor at Princeton University. And he did this in his spare time. He wrote this incredible series of books the themes of some of which are people in the future were living within their own self-contained houses and on holograms talking to each other because of the fear of pandemics and infections and the 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 idea that there was well that probably is the robot series for those who are her fans but this foundation <laughs> series also had in its context the idea that there is a a psychological underpinning that's kind of of all people together that goes through phases. And I think we're going through some of those phases in our national political life. So anyway, those are things that influenced me. And and I, I've always been an avid reader and I was, I, I really was grateful when I had the opportunity to write about something that people might want to read, which is the last trial of T. Boone Pickens. Well, I guess you have to love to read to be an attorney, right? Just a, you know, a lot funny. of law to absorb. Yeah, there is a lot of law to absorb. So here's the thing about being an attorney. You have to read so much legal stuff that you learn to read very quickly for the parts that really matter and hone in on the key concepts. And it kind of can destroy your love of reading because that's not that's no way to read a novel. So for about five years after I graduated law school, I couldn't read for pleasure and I needed to teach myself that again, because really it's one of the great escapes in life is to be able to have a book transport you someplace else. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you just it just pulls you away for that, that moment in time. Absolutely. What is your most used business tool? Probably Outlook. You know, I'm constantly on email. I communicate by email a lot. I mean, we really have gone to you know, there's no paper correspondence in what I do anymore. Everything is filed online. Everything is transmitted by email. And of course, the all important calendar function rules. my. <laughs> yeah. All right. So who would you say is your most respected competitor? I mean, this, this could be applicable to your, your firm. This could be applicable to running for railroad commissioner. I'm going to profile my most respected competitor. And I'll okay, that it, sounds great. And I will do it in the context of the legal practice. My most respected competitor is the man or woman who studies what they're talking about and processes it well enough to be able to use it in any context needed, whether it's a rhetorical point in trial or cross-examining an expert witness or presenting an argument to the jury. It's the people who really dig in and force themselves to understand that which they did not understand previously. 
those are the tough people to best in the courtroom. And I, honestly, I'd say the same thing in, in the political realm. You know, the, the best candidates are the ones who have a deep understanding of the subject matter they're talking about. Yeah, no, absolutely. And just uh, aware of who they're representing. I mean, that, that's that's the big part of it. Are, are, are you there for your own agenda? Are you there to do what the people need? Exactly. I mean, I think it's a really important thing to realize that public service done correctly is a huge personal sacrifice, right? Mm-hmm. Being a public servant in the state of Texas involves a, a significant pay cut. It involves a, a lot of you know, responsibility to a whole bunch of bosses out there that you've never had before. And that is in the form of the electorate and the voters and the people of Texas. And so, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and not, not only that, I mean, just because I'm, I've, I've been in the, the, the political roundabout, but I mean, people who you run against are, are digging for like the most awful thing they can bring up about you just to win a race. That's absolutely true. People will take whatever can be said about you. In my case, I'm sure that, well, my Republican opponent has already said that I'm anti-industry, which is absolutely not true. I hope the people who are listening to this podcast understand that I fully appreciate the jobs that they do, the service they provide for our economy and for really the mobility of the world and how difficult it is and how tumultuous it can be. And at the same time, you know, there are ways that we can do it better. And that's really what I'm asking of the people who vote for me is to understand that we can always do better. And I'm about getting to better. Awesome. What's your most important lesson learned? Nothing is forever. Uh, It's really, you know, I have written about this as well. When I was a very young woman, age 27, I was diagnosed with invasive melanoma. And once you've had cancer and been told, good luck, you got an 80% chance of seeing, you know, age 32, it really puts things in perspective. And so we will all get through every bit of this and there will things that will be better and improved as a result of us having been through it. But at the end of the day, if you can do something that's, that helps, you know, better mankind and not just yourself, then that's a life well lived. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. So why do you think your role now is important to the future of the oil and gas industry? Well, as I say frequently, since I'm campaigning for the Texas Railroad Commission, nothing has a bigger impact on national oil and gas operations than, you know, the industry in Texas. And obviously the Railroad Commission is the overseer of oil and gas extraction in Texas and transportation to some degree. So, I mean, I think it's enormously important. I think that if we do this right, if we get it correct, we can have a functioning and healthy industry in a way that we're not going to have if we don't do it correctly. I think there's a way to balance the needs of the Texas economy, the needs for jobs, the needs of, of people who, you know, frankly, have risk their fortunes and their lives in the industry with the, the ability to do better and to, to, you know, 80% of Texans believe in clean air and clean water. And frankly, there are some- Only 80%? <laughs> because well. <laughs> I, I like clean air and I like clean water. <laughs> 
Exactly. Regardless of your political spectrum, I think most Texans are going to agree those are important things. And really, the oil industry, there are some players who just don't get that that's important and that they need to do something about their obligations, their historic obligations under the Railroad Commission rules and statutes to meet those obligations. Yeah, absolutely. So what would you say is your favorite podcast? Honestly, I, I don't listen to a lot of podcasts. I do listen to a whole lot of talk radio, which has always served as my podcast even before such things existed. Right. So I, I listen, I do listen to NPR, but I also listen to uh, KRLD and WBAP. And, you know, I really do like people discussing ideas over the radio. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So before we finish up, I wanted to ask, why are you running as a Democrat versus a Republican? I'm just curious. It's really a couple of things. First of all, I've been a Democrat my entire life, but I've always been one who appreciates the role of business in our lives. I believe that it's time that um, we worked on, you know, some of the societal issues and challenges that, you know, we've been faced with with for a long time. I mean, we can get to better on all of these issues. And frankly, I find that Democrats seem to be the ones who are willing to work on those issues and, you know, advance the betterment of all people in a way that that Republicans who do not believe in government and not all Republicans are the same. I'm not No, not at all. I'm not casting a wide net on this, but uh, unfortunately in Texas for a very long time, the anti-government forces have have governed. And so that side of things doesn't hold any place for me. I, I absolutely understand. I was more curious because of, I mean, when was the last time someone Democratic that ran for railroad commissioner won? Uh, I think it was over 25 years ago. Wow. It okay. Has been a very, very long time. I am told that I am a very rare breed on the Democrat side, somebody who is both, you know, steeped in industry and running on, you know, getting back to some of our historic environmental protections at the Texas Railroad Commission. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you again for joining me, Krista. If people want to reach out to you and or get to know more about your firm and your campaign, how can they go about doing that? Well, I am on the web at actually the easiest way to get to it is highenergylitigation.com. And then my campaign is Krista for Texas, C-H-R-Y-S-T-A-F-O-R Texas.com. Okay. And I'll make sure to add links to that. Also, I'm going to add a, a link to your LinkedIn and to your book so everybody can get what they want. That sounds fabulous. I really appreciate it. And it's great to be with you all virtually. Awesome. All right. So that concludes this episode. So just remember, it's up to you to open the next door. Now here's events on deck. Hey, everybody. Alex here with the events on deck. So due to current circumstances, of course, we are not able to have any in-person events. So I have nothing of that nature to update you guys on. But we have been hosting some virtual events. So OGGN is wanting to offer free webinars, live happy hours, etc. during this time. Since these events are not scheduled out as far in advance as in-person events, we would like to keep you guys updated via Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. 
So be sure to keep checking up on that and we'll keep you guys posted on anything we're offering. It has been free. We want to offer you guys value during this time that we're all at home. So please continue checking in and joining us for these virtual events. We are looking forward to seeing you guys whenever we're able to have in-person events and hope you're staying safe and sound. Tune in next week for another intriguing episode of Oil & Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasindustryleaders.com.